0: Hello, and thank you for listening to the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast. The Teaching Math Teaching Podcast is sponsored by the Association of Mathematics Teacher Educators. The hosts are Ava Sennheiser, Dusty Jones, and Joel Amadon. Today, we're talking with Dr. Kyle Whipple, who is an Assistant Professor for Education for Equity and Justice at the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire. Kyle reached out to us to highlight that we have not yet focused a podcast episode on LGBTQ plus inclusion. We concurred and are excited to welcome Kyle today. So welcome, Kyle. Can you please tell us a little bit about yourself and your background?
1: Sure. First off, thank you so much for having me. I uh, really appreciate the opportunity. But let's see my background. I I started teaching in 1995, and I am not one of those people who at age four knew I was going to be a teacher. I'm a person who kind of really didn't know what I was going to do. As a matter of fact, originally, I wasn't even going to go to college, but as is the case in many of our lives, I had a very inspirational teacher who pointed out that I was good at math and could conceivably get a degree in math. So I went to college and got a degree in math. And as is the case for most of us, we're about you know halfway or three-fourths of the way through our college degree program. And someone says, what are you going to do when you graduate? And I'm like, I don't know. really only good at math. So I uh, decided to get a master's in math. And while I was working on my master's in math, I was doing the typical assistantship jobs, as you would expect with a master's student. So I was teaching some college algebra and calc one. And I was at a smaller regional institution where the person who was in charge of the teaching assistants was also in charge of the master's in education program. And so came in to observe my teaching once and Pulled me aside afterwards, and I thought I had done something wrong, and that I was in trouble. And she was like, "You need to come join our Masters in Education program, and you know you can teach high school math and or teach math at the at the uh, community college level." And I hadn't, you know, really considered that as a career, so it was one of those points where you just kind of have that fork in the road and make a decision. So I switched. I switched from my Masters in Math to. A master's in education and taught high school mathematics seventh grade through 12th grade because I was in rural Northeast Missouri for 20 years. I coached sports for 15 of those 20 years. And when I retired from coaching sports, the same person who had said, You should get your master's in education said, I can't help but notice you've retired from coaching sports. How would you like to adjunct? And so at that point, it would have been the spring of 2011, I started teaching the math methods courses for the local regional university. And I love that. So I did that for about four, four and a half more years. And in 2015, left teaching to come to the University of Minnesota and get my PhD. So it's a windy path, but I'm really happy with where I've ended up.
2: So rural Northeast Missouri, are we talking Truman State? Or We
1: are talking Truman State. All right, is exactly great. the place. Yeah.
2: I'm from Missouri. Some parts of my family anyway are. So yeah, that's awesome.
1: Yeah, I did. I graduated with my undergraduate there in math in 94 and my master's in education in 96. And then, you know, obviously stayed in the area. I taught, I don't know how much you know about rural Northeast Missouri, but I taught in La Plata for three years. And then I taught at Putnam County for a year. And then I taught at Kirksville Cool. Um, cool. for the other 16.
0: That's great. Yeah. So you said you coached sports. Do you want to share a little bit
1: what sports? The sport that I was actually good at coaching was softball. I really was not very good at coaching basketball and track. So I only coached track for one year and I coached basketball for three years. But, but I coached fast pitch softball for 15 years and it was terrific. You know, it's a, it's a great part of my teaching career. I ha- I'm still friends with tons of the folks that I coached. And given that it was rural Northeast Missouri, you know, I did have the occasional player come out to me. Either after, after they had graduated or a couple of them during the time that they were in high school. Sports have a tendency to be a place where, at least for female-identified folks, they might feel a little bit safer with admitting their LGBTQ+. Plus identities. So
0: So let's jump into you already touched a little bit on how you started teaching math teachers. Is there anything else you want to add to that? I will say that I didn't when I started to do it as an adjunct, I
1: did not realize I was going to be as passionate about it as I was, if that makes sense. Like when I was offered that position, I was like, oh, this should be interesting. You know, it will be fun to go through the process of explaining what it's like to be a teacher to folks who are going to be teachers but i didn't realize i was going to get so sort of enamored with it you know it just really started to become the thing that i wanted to spend the most time on out you know my high school teaching position almost started to take a backseat to my the time and effort i was putting into working with my pre-service teachers and that's what pushed me to be like oh i should switch <laughs> i should go get a phd and start doing this for as much of I don't want to sort of lose track of the importance of high school teaching. And I felt like I was. So for as much as that aspect of teaching, just as for the passion of having a, playing a role in future teachers' educations.
3: Hey Kyle, with, you know, this podcast being about, you know, folks that might be jumping in for the first time into teaching math teaching, when you got that call to adjunct, like what advice would you give to somebody that's going to maybe in the next few months might be getting that call to do a similar sort of position in the fall like what advice might you have for someone stepping into that arena
1: i think my biggest advice is that it requires a lot more time than you would expect so if you are a person with a lot of commitments outside of that adjuncting position it might not be a good choice but my i have a child who's 23 now and you know they were kind of beyond the space where they they needed me and so I had the free time to devote to, you know, really examining what it was that I wanted to get out of each session that I have with those students. Because as we all know, it's never enough time <laughs> when you're thinking about
3: never. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. when you're thinking about what all do they need to know? I mean, you know, we're f- teaching future math teachers, so of course they need to know mathematics content. They need to know the difference between pedagogical content knowledge and content knowledge, and uh, content knowledge for teaching, but at the same time I taught for 20 years. Mm-hmm. So they also need to know what it's like to have a student die of cancer. They yeah. need to know what it's like to, you know, have a student be pulled of their, out of their classroom and arrested,
3: mm-hmm. you know,
1: because that's going to happen too. And so trying to juggle the priorities and my gosh, <laughs> talking about retirement, right. Retirement yeah. for teachers is so vastly different from, you know, All of the other professions that, when you think about, well, you can retire at age fifty-five in the state of Missouri, and it's still okay for you to go teach in Iowa. (laughs) You'll be having (laughs) your, you know, I mean, how long do we spend talking to our future teachers about that versus the importance of the quadratic formula? That's right. Yeah. And so it definitely took a lot more time than I expected
3: the thing like i mean like you're almost like, like this holistic idea of what does it mean to be a teacher rather than yeah just the quadratic formula but thinking about all these other aspects like hey yeah like i remember like even just getting those uh you know the, getting that first teaching position and get thrown all these like applications for health insurance and stuff i'm like can i call my mom <laughs> like <laughs> like I we talked about that but yeah thank you i appreciate the that advice
1: yeah sure i also would encourage folks to do it if they feel drawn to it i mean if you feel drawn to it at all my gosh take the chance and see how much you uh, enjoy it. But it does take a significant amount of time.
0: So let's transition into the LGBTQ plus inclusion questions. Why should that be part of math?
1: I always go back to the old saying that if I can't see myself in it, then how am I supposed to think I'm capable of doing it? Phenomenon, right? So if we have these students in our in our school systems going through STEM courses, and they don't see themselves represented within those content areas, then we're missing out on a whole bunch of diversity that, quite frankly, is part of the key solve, problem solving system in our society and our culture. When a pandemic hits and we need a new vaccine, and there are debates over, you know, is this a vaccine or is this gene therapy? <laughs> you know, you're talking about a significant amount of STEM content area that goes into the creation of that, distribution of that. And when we don't have these diverse folks as part of those problem-solving teams, then we miss out on a point of view. When it comes time to solve a problem, we all solve it from our own point of view And so if the group itself is not diverse, then somebody's point of view is being left out. I'm old, so I always go to the AIDS epidemic as a highlight of a culturally inept response to a disease that's clearly attacking a marginalized portion of the population and that marginalized part of the population isn't really represented in STEM areas. So folks in the STEM areas don't have anyone within their group saying, no, we need to figure out how to handle this problem. We need to have medications that prevent the spread. We need to have medications that deal with the impacts of this virus. And so, as you all are aware, our response to that virus as a a nation was incredibly slow. It was, we were well aware of it for a long time before we started trying to even, even the most simple step of testing blood donations before they were used in transfusions took so long. To put into place. And it's always the case where marginalized folks who aren't represented in the problem solving group don't end up with the support that they should be getting when the solutions come out. So that's my big push for why we should care about marginalized populations in mathematics.
0: So this really leads me to the next question. So, how do we go about that? How do we include LGBTQ in math? What do you do and can you give some examples?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm happy to say that this is getting talked about more and more, which is awesome because as more and more folks talk about it, more and more good problems show up. There are several really good problems that are in published places that folks can use and adapt. I think the most recent one I saw was um, Brandy Wade's geometry problem with the forward pride flag where she has geometry students do different things with you know, the the parallel lines and what area do each of the colors take up and those kinds of things. There's also... Was that the
0: one in the math teaching, learning? I don't remember the... Yes, it's math.
1: It's mathematics teacher and then it's learning and teaching. (laughs) I don't know how that all Um,
0: flows together, but... I just wanted to like highlight it for people who might be interested in finding that task.
1: Yeah, yeah. The great thing about that article is that she doesn't just highlight her own tasks. She also highlights the different ways that you can use GLSEN. So if you're not familiar with GLSEN, it's the Gay and Lesbian Student Education Network. And they are probably the most powerful national organization that works with LGBTQ plus issues in schools. And one of their really big projects is that every other year, they send out a survey, and then every, then the year after they send out the survey to secondary students in our public schools, the year after that, they release the analysis of those survey results. And so one of the things Brandy brings up in her article is that you can use all of those statistics that get released by GLSEN every year in your stats classes and do all kinds of analysis with the information that they put forth. I have a problem with a couple of co-authors on the use of the they, them pronouns and how it moves through a given population. Those problems are pretty adaptable, like they're pretty easy to change for any given grade level. However, it can be much easier than that. (laughs) My first semester here at UWEC, I got tagged with the quote that I said, I can rainbow anything, um, and that made my students laugh. And so then they started repeating that. But something as simple as handing out rainbow rulers and rainbow protractors in a math class can promote LGBTQ plus inclusion without a major change to curriculum. So I have former students who (laughs) I'm always asking them, what are you doing to be inclusive? And one of them tells me that they name all of their, anytime they have to draw a picture on the board, they name the different shapes in the picture and they always use same sex couples. So if for some reason they have to draw two squares on the board, for instance, they have Mr. Square and Mr. Square who are married and have a lovely family. So it can be that simple. I also have a student who it's fairly popular in stats classes to do something with March Madness basketball tournaments every spring, and he saw his colleagues doing that and decided that instead of doing that, he does a correlation project with his students on the number of Instagram followers of the contestants in RuPaul's Drag Race and who makes it through in each round. So, you know, again, Mm. that's a much more complex inclusion of LGBTQ plus, and I'm not saying that everyone has to do that. It can be much, much simpler than that. But some folks want to want to really push it, and I think that's a cool way to do it.
0: And I think there are statistics out that if you do that, if you include LGBTQ plus in math or STEM, that that correlates with less bullying at the school.
1: Wow. That's fantastic. I don't think that I have even read that yet. So you're ahead of me.
0: That was Stephen Russell, I think, gave a talk when AMTE was in Houston. And I feel like I remember that from that talk.
1: Awesome. Certainly, it's the case. And this came out, I think, in 2015. Certainly, it's the case that in schools where inclusion is explicit. So in schools where teachers have safe space stickers, teachers chaperone the LGBTQ plus prom, those kinds of things, students show much better mental health results. And that's across all students, not just students who identify as LGBTQ plus. Because it turns out that when you're explicit about inclusion of all students, all students feel more welcome. (laughs) Whether or not they identify as part of that group, they're like, oh, this is a safe space. This is where everyone belongs. And it makes everyone feel like school is more of a space that they should be in. Oh, yeah. When you read some of the GLSEN results, some of them are just heartbreaking. You know, I think it's maybe 59%. I should have looked these up. I think it's 59% of students who identify as LGBTQ plus still hear uh, homophobic or transphobic slurs at school that teachers don't stop. So if you're in a space where a student is using incredibly negative language to talk about your identity, and the person who's supposed to be the authority in the space doesn't make that student stop using that, that sends a real clear message about where your place is in the uh, societal hierarchy, if you will.
0: Let's assume this scenario. I have never included any LGBTQ plus stuff in my math class, and I'm thinking about starting what advice would you give I would me tell on you, how to start?
1: Yeah, I would tell you to go to the GLSEN website. They've got tons of curriculum ideas and curriculum starters. Also, I believe it's now called Learning for Justice. It used yes. to be called Teaching Tolerance. They also have great curriculum starters for folks who want to be more inclusive and find materials related to your, your mathematics classes That are specifically based on inclusion. But you can also, if that's too big of a step, if it's, you know, oh, I don't want to go to even an outside source, you can do the most simple thing of, you know, taking one of your real world problems that is about a family and then making the family LGBTQ. It's a very, very small step. And there are some folks in the LGBTQ plus inclusion realm who kind of push back against that and say that's not enough. But I'm always looking for, I'm always sort of honing in on the lens that even a small step is better than no step. And so find some place where you're going to be comfortable and take that step. Even if it's just, I'm going to get one of those tiny rainbow flags that they sell at Michael's and put it in my coffee mug, my pencil holder, my whatever. Just any small step is better than no step.
3: I like all the resources that you've mentioned. And also, I just wanted to mention one that... I became aware of the summer when we had the uh, talk about with the uh, authors of the high school mathematics lessons to explore, understand, and respond to social injustice. They actually have a, um, a free lesson available that we'll put a link to in the show notes along with everything else that you've mentioned as well on this lesson, Listen to Glisten, where you can, students can, it's basically directed to look at the Glisten school climate report and do some mathematics around that. But basically, you know, for those that are looking to take that step, look at to do some sort of a social justice math lesson that's aligned with to those teaching tolerance standards everything's coming together here it's pretty cool how it's laid out and like an ex- this is a lesson that's been used by teachers in classrooms so it's nice to have those sorts of materials available but then i also like appreciate that you're saying like hey whatever step you're taking a step and then when the, the next step that you're willing to take there's resources and people there able to support you that's good
2: and i'll just pitch in my two cents and say this these are really good steps, Kyle. I appreciate even giving us some small steps to take if we're not ready for the the larger steps. Because this is something that we can't say, oh, we're we're math teachers. We can ignore this. You know, math is blank and you know, math ignores all cultural contexts because that's that's just not true. Uh, because we teach students. And so those students are humans and those those humans have human issues that they're they're dealing with and I know my daughter is a ninth grader in high school, and she's coming home and asking questions about inclusion issues, LGBTQ plus issues. She has friends that are within that community, and she's wanting to know, what can we do? How do we identify or how do we support people in this community? So I just really appreciate you bringing this to our attention, like Ava already said, that, hey, we need to talk about this. So thanks.
0: Yeah, super thankful that you reached out and pointed out that we had not yet tackled this. Let's shift gears a little bit to get to know you a little better. What makes a good day for you in your profession?
1: Oh yeah, I have so many good days. I I'm just like grateful every day that my joy and my passion come from teaching, but when you get to have that be your joy and passion and you're working with people who are also teaching and that all that all meshes together, it makes for really good days. Yesterday, my Students who I teach, so I teach elementary math methods here at Eau Claire. I teach elementary math methods and I teach secondary general methods and my elementary math folks just came back from their field experience. And you all have experienced this, they come back and they have so many great stories, right? Like, oh my gosh, I was doing this problem and this child seemed stuck. And I tried this and they still didn't understand it. But then I tried this and they got it. And I was so excited, you know, and my joy comes from how excited my future teachers are because they've implemented something that we've talked about in class and it's worked. That's where the whole passion of this position comes from. So Those are my best days when my students have been out in the field and have put together something that they see as successful. That's where my joy comes from.
0: That's cool. Um, Another question we typically ask with the goal in mind that this podcast is kind of like overhearing conversations at conferences and finding out what other people use. So you mentioned a few resources that already. Is there any other resources that you go to online for your own teaching?
1: I do go to the AMTE website periodically. I like the a- AMTE books that I have too. I probably I use GLSEN more than anything else. But Learning for Justice, I think it's Learning for Justice now. I'm I always forget. It used to be teaching tolerance. It, it is learning
2: for justice. I looked it up. So oh, perfect. Yeah. And we'll, we'll put these links in the show notes too. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. Yes. I really like their side as well. They much like the lessons for social justice. They cover all social justice lenses. And I really am when I'm teaching, looking to be inclusive across the spectrum. And so I use a lot of their materials as well.
0: So what do you do for fun? <laughs> I saw that on the list. And I
1: was like, I wonder if I'll we'll have time to get to that. My disconnect from the world is to go into the woods. So, you know, I like to be, it's a weird conundrum for me where I live in St. Paul, which is clearly a, a large metropolitan area. And there are lots of people out and about all the time in the areas that I frequent in St. Paul. So to offset that, I go into the woods where I'm in spaces where there's another human being within it. I'm like, why is it so crowded here? So let's see, we, my partner and I have a lovely dog that travels quite well in a canoe. So we go to the Boundary Waters, it's called. I don't know, those of you that are not from the upper Midwest may have never heard of it, but it's a pristine freshwater lakes and rivers area that is preserved in the state of Minnesota. That's in Northern Minnesota. We go there at least twice a summer. And you are completely unplugged when you go to the Boundary Waters. You are definitely completely on your own for however long you choose to be in that space. And we like to do, you know, four or five day trips. We're not doing three months without contact. So, But then, you know, we also take other trips around. We just recently went to the Porcupine Mountains in the upper peninsula of Michigan, which also isn't that far from Minnesota and Wisconsin, and did three days worth of, excuse me, worth hiking up there. So there's a new trail. I'll put new in air quotes. Being joined is how I should say it, called the North Country Scenic Trail that runs all the way from North Dakota to way out on the East Coast that we right now are doing. Yeah, we're doing segments of that with the idea that maybe someday we might try to through hike that. We'll see. (laughs) But being out in the wilderness, just my partner, my dog, and I is definitely what I do for fun.
0: Okay. Our last question is usually, um, do you have anything to promote? I don't think so. <laughs> uh, maybe I should promote
1: my um, gender diversity lesson plan. It is in a book called, I think it's called Gender Diversity Le- Lessons for K-12 through Classrooms. That sounds interesting. Yes. Teaching about gender diversity It is teacher-tested lesson plans for K-12 through classrooms. I can put a link in the chat for y'all.
0: Thank you. And we'll put those in the show notes. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And thank you to our listeners for listening to the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. We hope that you're able to implement something that you just heard and take an opportunity to interact with other math teacher educators. And speaking of interaction, please let us know what you want to hear in upcoming podcasts. Who do you want to hear from? Let us know through the virtual suggestion box. You can find that contact us uh, page at teaching math teaching podcast or in the show notes for this episode.